the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Thank you for joining us, Pro-America Report. Each day, you can check it out. We have four segments a day. One wink, the opening segment. One segment four, kind of a wind-up. And two interviews. And so every day, you can find those social media at, at, at Eagle Ed Martin. Ed Martin Live on Facebook. And visit ProAmericaReport.com. There's my Substack. You can sign up. And also, please go to PhyllisSchlafly.com and sign up there for our daily email. The daily email is called the wink, the daily wink. It goes out what you need to know. W-Y-N-K goes out every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, everywhere in between. Gives you a few links, a few things to think about and uh, one overriding point that I'd like to make. And I often make the same point during this segment on the radio show, which is also a podcast and a standalone link again at Eagle Ed Martin on X. Uh, Check it out there. So today I want to uh, tell you a quick story about leadership. And there's a guy, a gentleman named Kevin Roberts, who I have never met. Actually, I've never met him in person. Um, I know of him. For years, and I've seen him uh, uh, work at various levels. I've, I guess I don't even know if I've been. I think I've been to one event that he hosted or that he was like the MC at. Uh, but it may I may be m- in my mind morphing that, uh, remembering that as a uh, uh, an online thing and, uh, you know, a, a uh, video presentation, because I did see him do a number of those during the covid period. So Kevin Roberts is a, a professor, a, uh, a an academic Uh, He was president of Wyoming College out in Wyoming, a fascinating school, uh, really special place. And he was present there. And then he went, which is a really unique thing to do and to be a leader of. It's a very successful um, place, very small and uh, very rural and just very, very Catholic, very conservative and impressive. And then he went and became the head of a think tank in Texas, which is the opposite of Wyoming in that. I mean, it's big time. Texas is big. Everything's big. It's big. It's brash. It's bold. And he was a very impressive leader of a think tank, a conservative think tank. He sort of um, really gathered his voice and became a figure of conservatism and impressive, uh, impressive team that he built, all that kind of stuff. 
And then in a, what was considered, I think, a, something of, a, of a, a, a dark horse candidacy, he became the president of the Heritage Foundation. Now, the Heritage Foundation has one of the most storied histories in all of American political life. It started in the 70s. Ed Fulner started it. It built up and was really influential in the Reagan era and then maintained its influence and grew in its stature uh, in throughout the late 80s, early 90s into the opposition. Uh, uh, Opposition to the Clinton years, uh, Gingrich relied on it. It became a, a real dominant place. In in many ways, it grew from being a startup, a conservative renegade startup, to being a sort of old bull, a big you know a lion of the conservative movement. Speakers and folks that came through Washington D.C. Uh, always came and spoke at the Heritage Foundation. They had a particular role in uh, helping to highlight uh, leadership. In the Republican Party, I mean, it was a heritage foundation is a big deal and it grew in stature, uh, uh, but also grew in its uh, footprint. It has a beautiful building uh, for many years. Uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we hosted our collegians event in one of their upper floor uh, auditoriums. It's got uh, a meeting space. It's got some dormitories for interns. Very impressive. So Kevin Roberts becomes the head of that. After Ed Fulner had retired after 25 or 30 years, and then there had been uh, Senator Jim DeMint, uh, who had a sort of um, probably proved the old adage that it's hard to have a senator or an elected official uh, go and run an organization. They tend to be uh, kind of um, singularly focused, which is about their own career, their own self. It's not as and it's not as natural for them to become builders of organizations or or uh, creative leaders in the same way. It's just, uh, uh, you know, that's a description. It's not a criticism. Um, and then there was Kay James, who was a longtime conservative woman, very impressive lady who uh, sort of was a caretaker role for a few years. So Kevin Roberts has taken over at the Heritage Foundation and he's invigorated it. I don't know if reinvigorated is necessary, but he's brought a bunch of energy, lots of energy. There's lots of things happening. I'm a big fan of the oversight committee effort that a guy named Mike Howell has undertaken, uh, which is one of the related to heritage uh, uh, efforts. Uh, there was a period where Heritage uh, Foundation, a 501c3, sort of a think tank in the classic sense, also has and still does Heritage Action, which is a C4, which is more of a political arm that basically if, if Heritage Foundation says, let us explain to you what um, what the this policy means, let us explain to you how this budget plays out. Let us explain to you why these regulatory frameworks are problematic. The Heritage Action was saying, hey, up there on Capitol Hill, you should vote against this bill or you should vote against this set of issues. A little bit more uh, edge in terms of um, of uh, what you're doing. And, and that was more or less successful. I'm not sure it was as successful as Senator Jim DeMint, I think, who was leading on it, wanted it to be. But now, in particular, there's efforts to not just educate uh, members on conservatism, not just talk about the glory days of Reagan and uh, of, of supply side economics or or uh, the Monroe Doctrine or all these conservative principles. But how do you put them in action? How does it relate to America first? How do you do oversight? The oversight effort at Heritage has been extraordinary. I mentioned Mike Howell, one of the guys that I go to and talk about things. Well, Kevin Roberts has been cutting a, a larger and larger profile in the policy debate and in understanding things. And just in the last couple of days, one of the things that he seized upon and he posted it, 
He didn't shy away from it. It's what he's pushing. He's not he didn't make this comment and then say, oh, well, let's see what people think. He made this comment, a series of comments, and then promoted it through his own uh, social media presence. And the, the point he made was he's talking about China, communist China. And he says, we have never in the history of the American Republic had to confront an enemy, not an opponent, not an adversary, an enemy who is as strong as we are in every aspect. So every respect. So first, what he's doing is acknowledging that China, the communist Chinese regime is an enemy. Then he's acknowledging the communist Chinese regime is a powerful, powerful force. But then he goes on and he talks about the communist Chinese threat to America in terms of espionage, in terms of what the state security system in China and communist regime has been doing. We now know, and Heritage was a big part of this, in terms of the opposition to the Soviet communists in the Cold War. Heritage Foundation was extraordinary. But we now know from declassified documents and from the Soviet documents, which have been released, that the Soviet communists were infiltrating America in an extraordinary way. It's not just the Americans, that movie, uh, or I'm sorry, that's a TV series about these Russian spies that was popular in the last decade. It's actually practically, how did they infiltrate? What did they do? And Kevin Roberts' point is the communist Chinese are even more advanced in terms of their technology, in terms of their commitment, in terms of their size and scope. And he even goes where most of the conservatives won't go. He goes right at TikTok and he says, ban TikTok, ban the use of Chinese drones, surveillance equipment, expel CCP agents and shut down the Confucius Institute, these communist Chinese supposed education institutes set up on college campuses, higher ed, which is desperate, desperate, higher education, desperate always to find more funding, find more money, build more buildings, get more students, attract more people. And here comes the communist Chinese regime and says, hey, we'll throw money at you. And a lot of our institutions said, well, if they're just talking about ideas, why not? Well, Kevin Roberts, and again, he's a smart guy and a good communicator, really good. But he's now the president of the Heritage Foundation. He's one of the leading you know, names in the, of all, not just conservative, of all the think tanks. Brookings Institution is on the left. Hoover is out at Stanford. Uh, Heritage Foundation. There's, a, you know, Cato, I suppose, but it's really not as conservative as his libertarian. AEI seems pretty quiet uh, after Arthur Brooks was done sort of um, ringing the, the, um, the, uh, notor- uh, the fame out of that and w- went off to Harvard. Um, you, you know, n- n- I don't hear much about AEI. So, Here we have this gentleman who is standing up and saying, hey, the communist Chinese are a threat. We have to understand it. Look, naming the threat is half more than half the battle. Now we can look at it and say, oh, what do we do? I remember vividly having a conversation with the late Phyllis Schlafly, and she said that when the communist Soviet empire fell, She said, there's lots of corruption there. There's lots of things happening in that part of the world. But the threat of the communist Chinese was what she turned her focus to because she had spent 40 years from the 1940s through the 80s, almost 50, focusing on the communist Chinese, excuse me, communist Soviets and the threat because of the communist nature of what they were doing. And she turned it. She had the Eagle Forum. She had the Mincenti Foundation, which had been focused on Soviet communism. She turned all those organizations. She started writing and talking about the threat of the communist Chinese. That's what Phyllis Schlafly did. Well, 
Thank you to Ke- uh, Kevin Roberts and Heritage Foundation for standing up. But what you need to know is this is real leadership. This is a turning point. It's a turning point to have someone like him be so outspoken, so comfortable with this uh, position and what he's doing. So uh, very important. All right, we got to take a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. John Schlafly joins us in the new year, 2024, uh, starting with a bang. And uh, John Schlafly, his column with his brother, uh, Andy Schlafly, the Schlafly Report, also starts with a bang. The title is Override the Trans Travesty in Ohio. I hate to say this, John. I'm, I'm saying something to you on radio and people are going to hear it. Uh, it seems like everybody... Uh, me included, uh, maybe you didn't see that uh, De- Governor Ohio Governor Mike De- DeWine vetoed a bill over the holidays. He he clearly was waiting, I think, to hide out. And it was the Friday before the the uh, New New Year's Eve uh, New Year's celebration, and he vetoed Ohio House Bill sixty eight. Uh, dozens of other states have passed something similar, and uh, and it's basically to uh, to um, to uh, um, make it so that girls sports can't be invaded by biological males. How did he get away with this? And is he going to get away with it? It's up to the state legislature, Ed, which is, uh, uh, no, and it was the number of the legislators have already passed it by a veto proof majority, but they have to come back and hold an override vote. And as you mentioned, dozens of other states, and actually there's four other states where the legislature uh, passed it over the governor's veto. And those states are Arkansas, Kentucky, Indiana, and Utah. And so this has been done. This law has been passed in other states. It's been overridden the governor's veto in other states. So Ohio is next. And I assume the leader of the Ohio legislature, whoever it is, will schedule that vote and hold it. Why did, they, why, why, why did the wine do this? percent, not two thirds. Oh, okay, okay. So they could do it. Why did DeWine do this, John? I mean, what is the I know that President Trump jumped on his truth social and blasted away on this. I think a lot of people um, uh, were, were, were what, what's going on here. I mean, now, look, I, I, I'll give you my let me give you my theory real quick. He was a senator. DeWine was a senator. He might have served in another statewide office. He's been, he's governor. He was attorney general. I think he's in that point in his life and his career where he doesn't think he has to listen to anybody. Um, so he doesn't care what people think. But is there? Did he give a good, any good reason? Any any flawed uh, uh, you know argument that he's fallen prey to? I think he listened to the uh, the hospital association. In oh, Ohio, I see. Very okay. powerful in uh-huh. both states. And they strongly urged him to veto it, and that's what he did. Um, and of course, hospitals are making a lot of money out of transgender procedures, which are experimental. Um, you know, they're costly. Uh, some states like California have gotten federal funds to pay for it, um, but um, California, you know. Some of the early victims of this process have now, once they have become adults and they regret what happened to them, they filed lawsuits. And there's lawsuits pending against uh, Kaiser, which is the biggest healthcare organization in California, uh, accusing them of 
uh, you know, of, of uh, well, basically, you know, a child cannot consent to medical procedures. And uh, we do allow parents to uh, consent for them in many cases, but not all cases. And these procedures are permanent, irrevocable changes that will change a child's life forever. And there's no long-term study. Uh, there is no reliable evidence that it, that it works. It doesn't work because uh, your sex of every individual is determined is at this every the level of every cell in your body. You can't change that. So uh, it's a shame that this has become. You know, I hate to say. I was about to say, and I caught myself to call it political because people will say, oh, you're politicizing something. Well, the fact is that the Democratic Party supports this and the Republican Party opposes it. And you can't change that. That is political. Everything is political in the sense that it's our government involved. And our government is divided between two parties. And one party supports one thing and the other party supports the other thing. That's the way our government works. Our founding fathers didn't want that to happen, but it did happen, and that's what we have today. We have a two-party system in our country. Ohio is overwhelmingly, predominantly Republican, but the Republican governor went off the reservation, and he's got to be called to account by the legislature. I think that's John, what's going to happen, uh, Ed. John, when I see this, I think to myself, um, out of touch. I, th I say to myself, that doesn't seem like something that the public wants to have this happen. It is, um, am I misreading that? I mean, what do you, what did you see? And we're talking with Andy, uh, John, uh, John Schlafly, John and Andy Schlafly write their weekly column. I mean, is there something I'm missing? Is there a way that this can be positioned that somebody in the general public says, oh yeah, um, let this happen I, I just don't see how it's not a, a a total slam dunk and 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 maybe i'm going back to the politics of it how does the democrat party think they win on this they will select a handful of people and try and make them sympathetic that's what they do but this time it's not working uh because first of all there are not that many people and uh they, there's no there's no real evidence that these life-changing procedures, whether regardless of whether it's the chemical procedure or the surgical procedure, that it it works. And the uh, children or teenagers who are the victims of this, I mean, they're frankly they're worse off after these procedures are done than they were before, and they have they face a life of a lifetime of constant medical procedures and more drugs and more surgery, and there's no end to it. It's, it's a horrible thing. And for what? What do they get out of it? What's the purpose of it? The only purpose of it is to carry forward a narrative of LGBT, and we're talking about the T. Somehow, when the American people weren't looking, uh, that extra letter, the T, got added to the alphabet soup of people that we're supposed to care about without really explaining what that means. And now that we see what that means, see what's happened in medicine, in the hospitals, and in sports, teen teenagers and high school sports 
and college sports, and the public is not buying it. And Trump sees that. He made a very strong statement uh, condemning the governor of Ohio for signing it and attempting to back up the legislature, which is going to face a challenge to override the governor's veto. Uh, And they should go ahead because it's already happened. You know, 22 states have passed these laws, and four of them have passed them a second time after the governor vetoed it. Hmm. Uh, And so now we're facing the fifth state where that happened. And uh, the courts, the majority of courts, have sustained these state laws. Uh, Some courts have gone otherwise, and there will be a court battle. Uh, But the court that presides over Ohio, which is the federal Sixth Circuit, has already ruled in favor of the same kind of law next door in Kentucky. And so there's every reason to think that Ohio's law, once it gets passed over the governor's veto, will survive a court challenge. So, you know, it's time to get cracking. The legislature needs to get going on that. And by the way, the legislature also needs to take action to deal with the um, uh, with the voter initiative issue yeah. in Ohio, where the right. voters passed uh, an initiative regarding abortion, which goes beyond an amendment and basically adopts a new constitution. And that's not what the voters are allowed to do. Uh, we have a, rep- a Republican form of government where the legislature is supposed to make uh, state laws and federal laws. So the legislature in Ohio has a lot of work to do. Uh, John Schlafly is our guest. And again, his column, which is available uh, archived over at phyllisschlafly.com, also shows up uh, initially at townhall.com. Uh, this week's is override the trans uh, trans, excuse me, the trans travesty in Ohio about what went on in Ohio. The Republican governor uh, vetoed um, that um law passed by a majority of Republicans veto proof. And we'll see. Uh, I know part of the reason for the column was to encourage uh, the legislators in uh, legislators in um, Ohio to get to it. And we'll see uh, if that works. So thank you, John Schlafly. As always, 2024 will bring many great uh, Schlafly columns. Again, phyllisschlafly.com. They're all archived there. We'll talk with John again next week. But we have to take a break right now. We're up against uh, a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is an author. Great, great timing for uh, someone like her. Her book is called The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. Danny Katz is our guest. Welcome uh, to the program, Ms. Katz. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. And um, the the uh, you, you know your background, um, you're someone who's uh, been a I don't know how to say public person. You've got this sort of perspective on uh, being out in the public, almost uh, like a public intellectual. I don't know if that's a good thing. I know your background is originally in journalism, or at least your training was. Um, but at this moment, um, you know, you watch we're watching what's happened at Harvard, watching what's happening sort of on X, not sort of on X. Um, it must feel like a good time to be someone who wants to make their voice heard. It's a lot. I'm not saying it's easy yet, but it's a lot less constrained than it was even six months ago. 
Um, and may I ask what you mean by constrained, just so I can answer the, the question well, directly? Yeah, th- thank you. Sorry, I, that was a little choppy. Uh, I mean that it was if you were bold and serious and talking about hard subjects and you're willing to, to, to kind of stand up, you they would find ways to cancel you. They'd find ways to jump in and say, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to shut you down. feels like there's a lot more freedom. And then there's a lot more uh, people are willing to take a risk. I think you were taking risks in your writing and what you're doing. But I think it's um it's just in a different environment right now. Does that feel right? Well, it definitely feels like a different environment. And thank you for calling me a public intellectual. I think that's the first time that's happened. So I'll gratefully receive that. There you go. And yes, I've, I've been speaking tough truths. I mean, since back, you know, before I was even in journalism school, um, my frustration is a, I wish humanity was further along so that, you know, I, I wasn't expending so much energy to try to wake people up to so many shams and shenanigans that are working against us. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but the censorship is really an issue. Um, and I don't know if people realize how bad it is. So I've been, I have been canceled a number of times. I've been booted from mainstream journalism. Um, YouTube has, has placed a new batch of restrictions on my account. So of course, necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) I'm super resourceful. You know, I always pivot and, um, I do find it frustrating to deal with the thought police, you know, and all the big tech shenanigans trying to silence people like me or make it very difficult for my messages to get out to the public. So uh, that that is a source of frustration for me, for sure. At the same time, the beauty of on-demand publishing, self-publishing, I mean, right. even though my new book is with a publisher, is beautiful, right? And it gives people like me a chance to continue to express, to continue to speak to the public, despite all of the efforts to shut me up. We're, again, our guest is uh, Danny Katz, and, and if you could go, especially on X, I'm looking at her account at Cax, uh, Katz Danny K K A T Z D A N I. I'll put it up on social media. But you know, an earlier book of yours, Word Up: Little Language Hacks for Big Change, and then this book, The Language of Betterarchy: A Blueprint for Uniting Against Tyranny. It feels to me, I'm not. I've seen other stuff that you've written, so I'm, I'm pointing in the direction I know that you do point. You're trying to reclaim and especially point to how language is corrupted and and taken from us and that you've got to be willing to see that first to your point see that there is censorship first before you can kind of go and 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 push into it and i guess one thing about this i wonder for you is it must get hard to not be frustrated that your fellow man and woman aren't seeing this a lot of people sort of just bumble along and say well you know there's a million ways you can communicate why don't you well there is but if they shut you down there's actually very few ways it's a it's a a catch 22. It is. And I think it's frustrating for all of us who are seeing the larger picture. I'm grateful that, you know, I spent my early 20s studying yoga, studying ancient Sanskrit philosophy and studying the Bhagavad Gita. So I've relinquished any attachment to my efforts being absorbed in my lifetime. You know, like, of course, that's the vision that I hold, that humanity wakes up to our own power, to our own agency and decides to take it back and create a new, better game that serves capital L life 
life and humanity <laughs> as a whole. And I sleep well at night knowing that I'm doing everything I can and I'm resourcing the public with as many tools as possible. Um, of course, you know, it is my dream that we pick them up sooner than later and start to realize that, you know, this is a war of words. This is a, a linguistic affront that we're all dealing with. You know, we, we look in our local communities and despite matrix shenanigans, like things are relatively fine. But if, were we to believe the nonsense coming through the screens, we would think the sky is falling. You know, the earth is collapsing. We have maybe 12 breaths left if we're <laughs> lucky. All of that is because of words, right? It's not right. because of what's actually happening. It's because of the stories that are being told around what is happening. So my goal is to resource people with the knowledge of how language functions as reality creation technology so we can start to use language to change reality for the better. Uh, we're talking again, Danny Katz and, and her book, which uh, we're referencing uh, right now. But I want to talk about your podcast. The book is The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. Uh, again, back to when I look at your um, uh, your podcast, it's called Word Up with uh, Danny Katz and it's hosted by author, journalist and 5D word nerd. I mean, you, you really and, and explores how language is programming our minds, our culture and our world. And most importantly, how to transform ourselves in society for the infinitely more wonderful, and every, every, more wonderful, whether every word your point is language is the whole is power. And I guess what I want to say is it feels like the, I, I don't know, left or maybe not just the left, maybe those with power are, are dominating the use of language. They're not. And that you can say, well, let's reclaim the words between Google and mainstream media and big government. The, 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 I call it the narrative machine. The narrative machine is doing a pretty good job of taking the words away from us. And you and I are spitting in the wind to try to get it back. Well, it can seem like that, sure, but we're all still, we all still have local communities, right? We have right. friends, we have people we engage with at the local grocery store, right? Those are very powerful opportunities for us to insert some consciousness and self-responsibility in the languaging. You know, I, I think um, one of the biggest downsides to what's coming through the left is this propagation of victim culture, right? Hmm. And victim culture stands in the face of us taking taking responsibility for ourselves and our world. And I think that's the biggest disservice that those narratives are doing is convincing us that we are not 100% responsible for our experience of reality, which therefore resources us to change our reality. You know, I was having a conversation with a colleague last week and he was making some disparaging references to Trumpers. And I said, I don't know what that is. What is a Trumper? And he's like, oh, you know, the MAGA people, the white mm. supremacists, and I said, do you realize how dehumanizing that languaging is? They're actually human beings who have made different voting choices than you've made, but you're attempting to stereotype them and shove them into homogenized boxes formed, forged of bigotry. And it's really dehumanizing to your fellow human beings. And he heard me because hmm. I wasn't attacking his politics. I right. was illuminating how he was dehumanizing people who think differently. And I think it's incumbent upon us as people on the ground to remind people that we are all humans. We are not monsters who all think the same and hate life. Like that's a ridiculous narrative coming through the screens. And we all have the power to rewrite that narrative in our one and one engaging. 
Danny Katz, again, is our guest. She's the author and she's a public intellectual. Uh, the book is Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. I, I have a less I have like a minute and a half, but I want to ask you, you know, I, I, I'm a lawyer. And so you use a lot of words, but I also represent some of the J6 uh, defendants and they use the word insurrection and they <laughs> and they've dominated the uh, insurrection word into to really de- demeaning a whole set of defendants. And I, I can see the way you laugh that, you know what I mean. You can see it's perfect. It's kind of a similar example to your Trumper. But it is so um, terrifying to see that the government and the law is making decisions based on really an assigned meaning that's at least at odds with the whole truth, if not completely fabricated. Oh, a thousand percent. And, and, you know, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the service that you're doing in defending those people who were simply exercising their constitutional rights. And yes, I mean, the weaponization of words is a huge part of what I call the sham show. Um, <laughs> That's good word. You know, good same phrase. with the word privilege, you know, which no longer means what it used to mean. So it's unfortunate. And, you know, as far as the justice system, you know it much better than I do. I would hope that there are some judges who aren't in Soros's pockets who are willing to exercise their critical thinking and defer to the actual definition of insurrection and throw these cases out. Yeah, I wish there were I wish there were more. I really do. And I have to say it's frustrating. Unfortunately, I'm up against a language barrier because I've got a deadline. I got to get a break here. Uh, Danny Katz. So the book is called The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. She's on uh, social media. She's also got a podcast. Uh, Check her out. She's a thoughtful public intellectual. We got to take a break though and run back we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily broadcast delivering a conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 As an author, speaker, and the founder of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Mrs. Schlafly spent an astounding 70 years in public service, protecting and defending the Constitution, the unborn, and America's sovereignty. Following that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The moment that the liberals and their favorite media gave up on President Joe Biden and lost hope in his ability to win the 2024 election was last November. Early in that month, the New York Times announced that Donald Trump led Joe Biden in five of six swing states, sending a signal to all liberals that Biden must be replaced as the Democrats nominee for president. The filing deadline for the New Hampshire primary had already passed. And if Democrat insiders wanted to coalesce around a replacement for Biden, the deadline for the South Carolina primary was approaching quickly. Meanwhile, the world is falling apart under Biden, as 53-year-old Spencer Weiss, a Pennsylvania voter who had switched his support from Biden to Trump, was quoted in that same New York Times article. Biden has mishandled foreign crises from Ukraine to Israel, while letting in 10 million unemployed illegal aliens, more than the entire population of overcrowded Los Angeles County. Biden turned 81 years old in November and plainly lacks the mental acuity to serve as president. Biden and his supporters have pushed transgender access to girls' restrooms and locker rooms in schools, which has sparked a walkout by students in Loudoun County, Virginia. Last April, Biden proposed a federal rule under Title IX that would prohibit schools from categorically banning transgender students from invading girls' sports. The American people have been forced to enjoy a lower standard of living ever since Joe Biden took office in January 2021. 
With the outbreak of wars, out-of-control inflation, and uncertainty about the future of American energy and wealth, Americans need a serious leader. The Democrats realize that Biden does not display the strong leadership that the people need, nor does he display the mental fortitude that the president of the United States needs to have. Once the liberals realized that he was yesterday's news, they were left scratching their heads as to where to turn next. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. Uh, You know, I I think I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again with a different variation. Um, A few years ago, we had our Eagle Council, our gathering of Phyllis Schlafly Eagle leaders. We call it Eagle Council, an annual event. And uh, it used to be always in September. Uh, Sometimes we've had it a little earlier, a little later, uh, but second, first or second week in September. And the year I'm thinking of five or six years ago now, we had um, particularly had a great um, we had great attendance by grassroots leaders and up and comers, people that were uh, energizing folks and really have succeeded beyond um, uh, many of our expectations. Just awesome. Scott Pressler was there that year. I think uh, Posobiec was there. He'd been there a couple times, Jack Posobiec, uh, Gregory Wrightstone, who's now so well-known, his books are so well-known and he's got a new book out, which is called a very convenient warming. Um, and a number of others. And so one of the people that was there was uh, actually Stefan Molyneux. Remember that name? Stefan Molyneux, who was for a while a very prominent blogger, uh, conservative blogger, Canadian based. And um, I don't know what happened to him. He got banned all over the place and canceled by everybody. Um, but uh, uh, he, very, he was very effective and very persuasive. And he came and he was on a panel with Mike Cernovich. And Cernovich had finished uh, his movie Hoaxed, which came out with an accompanying book. And he gave a a preview of the movie. We watched the movie and then there was a panel discussion with uh, Stefan Molyneux as well as um, uh, uh, Cernovich and maybe one or two others. And it was great. It was extraordinary. It was really interesting. Um, It was interesting to see uh, a Cernovich in action. Um, Mike Cernovich is very persuasive and interesting. And so anyway, what I'm reminded of, is as people are uh, recounting now uh, or um, going through, that's the wrong word, recounting, are are focused on the Epstein um, uh, f- uh, plane logs and who was traveling to Epstein's island, who was in the circle of there. There was one guy, Cernovich, back in the day, five or six years ago, who put his own money into the uh, effort and litigated in a case that was ongoing. I think the, one of the Miami newspapers jumped in and later sort of claimed uh, that they were the leader. But it was really Cernovich who led and the, the newspaper came in later kind of riding on his coattails. But he basically he he was one of the ones that said, litigate this and let's get these public made public. Let's get these out in the public. And here's what Cernovich has said over the last day or so. As the Epstein flight logs came out, he basically said, it, it, it's a whitewash. It's a setup. The, the logs you're seeing are partial. They're incomplete. They've been redacted. 
And he goes on to recount the details of what at the time he saw happening. There was a period of time where when they went to arrest uh, uh, Epstein, they, they seized a bunch of stuff from his offices or his homes, maybe both. And uh, and then those and they did. And then they disappeared. They secured one location. I think it was his New York City, uh, Manhattan apartment, maybe the apartment and offices are the same location. And they, they arrested him and then they secured it for briefly. And then it was unsecured for a period of weeks and everything disappeared. Basically, there were movies, there were photographs, there were records. They've all disappeared. What we're what we're seeing, Cernovich's point is, is a very small slice, a very small sliver of what the truth is. And it's being done for a reason. It's being controlled for a reason. It's being managed for a reason. And that is to cover up whoever else was involved. I don't know who was involved, by the way. I, I All the speculation, all the wild speculation, I have no idea. I do know that at the level that has that this has been done, managed, there is obviously people that are being protected are very powerful, are very serious. I, again, I'm not, I'm not even sure what they're protected from. I mean, it looks like underage uh, sex. It looks like uh, these uh, orgy parties and all, all this kind of ugly stuff. But nobody really knows because Epstein disappeared either killed himself or was killed. And more importantly, all the evidence, all the information that would have revealed what was going on has been managed and has been eliminated. And Cernovich, if you go to Cernovich's uh, Twitter feed at Cernovich uh, X, 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 uh, X feed, um, his profile on X, you'll see him write about this a number of different times. And at some length on his X uh, posts, uh, one of the posts a day or so, right in the day, in the hours after they, they posted the uh, Epstein flight logs or plane logs or whatever their the uh, special name is. He you know, lengthy post where Cernovich explains all this. And my point is two things. One, I agree with him. I don't think we're getting anything like the whole truth of what's going on at all. I don't think there's any I don't think we ever will. Uh, And number two, the other thing I'd say is follow Cernovich. Follow Cernovich. Mike Cernovich has had a really great success at seeing and then describing trends and occurrences in ways that most people don't. I would say he's correct a lot in his predictions, but not all the time. But what he's the way he describes what he's seeing and the great the way he describes what's happening is always, always thought provoking. It always gives you uh, something uh, to uh, to think about and to understand that you hadn't before. So you got to check that out. And that's the thing. And my opinion is uh, is with his that the Epstein stuff, it's a distraction because it's not real. It's not significant even the fact that they put bill clinton in bill clinton is expendable at this point in terms of his public image his public image isn't damaged by being called a philanderer with underage women i mean he's a guy famous for uh, manipulating a 20 year old intern or a 21 year old intern whether you whether you think it's age of consent or not you know everybody knows that the power dynamic that he was using on people in the case of monica Lewinsky and everybody else i mean that you can't damage his reputation his reputation is 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 zero with normal people in fact, it's kind of easy. It's gratuitous. Oh, well, you know, Bill Clinton's a, a pig. OK, well, nobody's surprised by that. But meanwhile, we're not hearing anything else about all the other people that were really there that were involved or may not have been involved, which is a mystery that we'll never get to the bottom of. of uh, and I agree with Cernovich on that. All right. Uh, that's all we've got. Thank you, as always, to uh, Ryan Hyde, our producer, Mason Mohan, associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.